when Jesus Christ identified with us, there are some beliefs that we had that were not true. And those wrong beliefs need to be replaced with correct ones or right ones. The first one is this wrong belief. I wasn't worth keeping. Now these are childhood messages that you may have received or believed about who you are that you carry with you forward. So the wrong belief is, I wasn't worth keeping. A lot of adopted children feel that this is true of them. The true belief is God not only cares about me, He'll never leave me, and He has a family for me forever. Another wrong belief is when parents split up and the children think it's their fault. The wrong belief says, I must be the reason my parents are divorced. The true belief is, I'm not responsible for the actions of others. Each person is accountable to God and a young child could not cause a parent to choose to divorce. Other issues were in play. Some feel like the parents were too busy. And so the wrong belief is, I feel lost in the shuffle or the shuffle of life. The true belief is, I am a unique creation of God. He knew me before I was even born. I was not lost. He knew me even then. Some have had father issues, abandonment, where the father either died or was not in the picture. And the wrong belief is, I never had a real father who loved me and cared for me. Some folks uh, have that wrong belief even if their father was in the picture. The true belief is God will be my helper, defender, encourager. He is the father of the fatherless. He is a faithful father. And some people believe that they were born into bad circumstances and they look back across their life and say, we were unfortunate as a family. The wrong belief that comes from that is, I did not get a fair start in life. So I was handicapped from the get-go. The right belief is this, God has not forgotten me, for He defends the cause of the needy. God knows your situation, and many people rise above even the worst circumstances to be a shining light. So this morning, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus Christ to a virgin. The statement almost sounds preposterous. A virgin with child. I've heard of guys say, that's not my child, but I've never heard a woman say, I, wasn't, I didn't do that. I wasn't there. That wasn't mine. They never had to have a DNA test to have the child growing within them to see if it was theirs or not. They always check for the father, not the mother. And you know why, right? Because there's only been one time in history that a person was born of a virgin. Now, I want to share something with you. All creation runs through Jesus Christ. Never forget that truth. In the Gospel of John, we learn 
these things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word, being Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen to this third verse. This is the one I want you to focus on. All things were made through Him. Hear this. All things were made through Him, the Word, Jesus Christ. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. All creation runs through Jesus Christ. Catch that? History is His story. Human history is the history of what Jesus Christ was doing. You are His creation. Fearfully and wonderfully made, might I add. Jesus Christ was born into human history. We talked a little bit about that last week, being the lineage of David born in Bethlehem. We also learned that when Jesus Christ was born, He was born of a woman impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, Scripture records that there are two kinds of birth that each person must have to be a part of the kingdom of God. One is by water, which means the water must break and then you're born naturally when the water breaks, and by spirit. In John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we find two types of birth mentioned. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, one is born of water and the Spirit. He cannot, unless you are, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Important to note that this morning, that that which is born of flesh remains flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit becomes Spirit. We all were born of flesh. We are flesh. We are in the lineage of people. Just as Jesus was who we identified with as a human being last week, we now identify with Him in another way. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says you must be born again or born from above. He's talking about being born of the Spirit. It does not mean that you said a prayer or made a choice and that made you born in the Spirit. That did not do that. I promise you, it's not a work of your own. It is God's doing. What happens when you're born of the Spirit, it means that God has done a work in you by the Holy Spirit that you know you could not do. I found that God did something in me when He redeemed me. I could not redeem my own soul. Only God can do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12.2, it talks about having a renewing and transforming of your mind. It even says, do not be conformed to this world, which is flesh but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God which is only discernible by the Holy Spirit's intervention. 
You can't know the will of God without the Holy Spirit working inside of you to help you discern it. We're going to get to this here in a little bit of how this all works. And I'll explain it as we go along. But you have to have a transformation. You have to be 180. That's my favorite thing. Be 180. It means you're no longer flesh and human for your own desires. You've turned 180 toward God and His desires and will and purpose for your life. Somebody said, don't you do a 360? I said, no, that's a full circle. You're going the same way still. <laughs> you turn from yourself in selfish ways to God in godly ways. Selfless. Not selfish. The only time you sell fish is if you're a fisherman. And you sell them for a profit. Otherwise, you are not selfish. I just threw that in there because I thought you might like that. <laughs> So Scripture says you have a new heart. In Ezekiel it says a heart of flesh replaces your hard stony heart. That one that says things have to be this way. And that heart was born by the Holy Spirit. If that has not happened, you are still what you used to be. Do you know what I mean by used to be? It used to be. I used to be this, but God. If the Holy Spirit hasn't done a work in you, you're still what you used to be. You're still flesh, still selfish, still trying to run things, still trying to control people and events and circumstances, and not letting the Holy Spirit run your life because it's not there. You know, the question is, why do you think we need to be spiritually reborn? Why, why would that even make sense? It's quite simple. It's we're born into Adam. The first guy that messed up. We are in that lineage. So if we're in a lineage of sinful people, and we have all inherited the sin nature, or the tendency to do our own thing out of our own desires then doesn't it stand to reason we need something in place to help us turn toward God and have a godly heart? Does that stand to reason? Scripture tells us that Adam is representative of death. I don't know about you, but I don't want to die forever. That's a long time. Life with Adam is death. New life in Christ comes because he's the new Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find this being explained to us. It says, and it's talking about our fleshly body. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. That's the flesh we're talking about. And there is a spiritual body. It's when the Holy Spirit begins to make alive and quicken within us. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, which is from Genesis. And the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. There it is again, spirit, right? So we have spirit at work. However, the spiritual is not first. The natural is first. You must be born of the water, of flesh, Before you can be born of spirit. So you're born as a person, and then you're reborn spiritual. So the spiritual birth is next. 
verse 47, he says, The first man was made of earth, dust. The second man is a Lord from heaven, a spiritual man, Jesus Christ. How was Jesus put into Mary? By the Holy Spirit. Okay? Talking about impregnated by the Holy Spirit. In verse 48, he tells us, As was the man of death, so also are those who are made of dust. We are flesh when we're made of dust, from ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we do return. It is not a pleasant thought if that's all you are. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And that's a good thing. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust by birth, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man by Holy Spirit power. Very simple to understand. I think you're with me so far. So how do you know if you're spiritually reborn? And the answer to that is you have a new desire that's born into you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 13, it talks about the love chapter. Love does this, love does that. It gives a whole list of requirements that are impossible for you to do. A whole bunch of requirements that love does that's impossible for me to do. Those things are only possible because they describe God's love to us. It's the kind of love He's trying to recreate in you and me. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, One day, right now we see in a mirror dimly, but one day, face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know just as I also am known. For we shall be like Him. We shall be like Jesus. And the love that God is driving into us through the Holy Spirit to live out the Gospel is His work. You cannot do it without God. That new desire then is what happens when you're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new. But we don't know this because unless you understand that new desire to pour out the gift and graces of God on the world around you, you're still living for self. Still what you used to be. But when you are in Christ, hear this, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. New stuff's happening to you. You're going a different direction. You're not the same old, same old anymore. You are a created being renewed by the Holy Spirit, quickened to do what? To love. To love in greater and greater measure those in the world around you and to give and share in that love. I like how sometimes the words of the English language are better when you say them a different way. I could say you are born of the Spirit. But what if I said of the Spirit you are born? It says it a little different, doesn't it? Almost sounds like a Yoda-ish thing. 
Oh, spirit, you're my bone. <laughs> Learning a new way of relating to yourself, others, God, and the world is your task. Or, to say it the other way, your task is to learn a new way to relate to others, yourself, and God. It's a task. But you can't do the task without God's Holy Spirit within you. Keep saying that, but I, I want to make sure you catch that. This is not what you do. It's what God does. God is at work in you to will and to act and to do His purpose. God is the one who can do it. You cannot on your own accord or strength. That's why Scripture says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is impossible for a person of flesh to do. Why? Because a person of the flesh loves themselves and other things with a humanistic type of passion, but they don't have a godly influence of love inside. Now I have to tell you that if you're not born again by the Holy Spirit and don't belong to Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that there isn't a war raging inside of you between spirit and flesh. The lineage of Jesus Christ still exists. You were created by Jesus Christ who is God made flesh for us in Bethlehem. But God is love made flesh in Bethlehem. And if Christ who created you is love, then that Christ who your lineage is through and from has love, an image of God at its core. And therefore, you have the love of God somewhere responsible for your creation. A spiritual reality is you are alive. You are flesh. But the love of God is why you are alive. You have a spiritual component to you. Every person born has a spiritual component. And they fight. The flesh and the spirit fight with one another to see who's going to win. You see it in a lot of different ways. Maybe you've seen someone say like this. It's kind of like a double mind we've talked about a little bit. This will help you understand that a little more. It's like this. I know this isn't good for me to do this thing over here, which I'm walking toward. And so I'm going to go this way and do... But I really like that thing over here. And it's going to hurt me. And it's not healthy. So I, I want to do what God wants, I think. But well, I really like that. Do you understand? We get in this tug of war side to side and we as people don't get to win because we don't have the Holy Spirit pulling us stronger than this is pulling us. We got no adversary other than ourselves and the devil and no, shall we say... Go between. No interceder, no strength, no power, except for that which is wooing us into proper relationship with God. The adversary says, just don't worry about this God thing. You don't need it. 
Actually, what the adversary says is you can choose any time you want. You have the power. It's your choice. Don't let God tell you what you need to do and don't do. The adversary whisper that in your ear. You say, oh yeah, you can do that. That's, I know, but you know, that's a healthier choice over there. So you can choose that. And I'm not going to stand in your way of choosing that. This is how the adversary hopes you. So, since you can choose that, and you know you can, let's do this other thing. After all, that's what you want anyway. That's how the adversary works. When the new spirit comes in, the new heart and the Holy Spirit comes in, we begin to see that this thing leads us to destruction. Someone once said, I'm not picking on any one vice or virtue, but this person had a, a vice. And they said, this, this one isn't going to kill me. You were right. It wasn't. They wouldn't. But it'll set a chain reaction in place. That'll bring another and another along the wrong path. Until you begin to justify that it's okay to do the wrong thing because that one won't destroy you. I'll be a little vulnerable this morning. I have a goal. I had a goal and I had to change it because I got worse and said better. But at, at work where I'm at, they give us a $100 incentive who lose 10% of our body weight. And I thought this will be easy. I did this when I was 40. I'll do it again. So I started working on it and I, and I got down to 5 pounds away from the 10% mark. I'm going, hey, this is easy. Matter of fact, if I do that, I can get another 100 by losing another 10%. So I'm thinking, you know, incentive, $100, that's, that's a good incentive, right? So I had lost a few pounds away from it. And then summer came along and barbecues and, and nice food and opportunity to eat regular. Uh, people invited me to all sorts of stuff, and you know, I, my, my, you know, I'm not going to refuse an invite. And and they said, eat all you want. Well, I have to eat all I want because they said I should. Not listening to that Holy Spirit going, you know, the, the five more pounds that's going to be ten. Yeah, I know, but guess what? I got this far, but I can do it again. Hear that? I can do it again. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, you want to do this by yourself, huh? So, go ahead. Well, of that goal now targeted, I have 15 pounds to go instead of five. Why? Because I can do it anytime I want. I can do it. Scripture says very clearly, pride comes before a fall. And the Spirit... And the flesh are at war. The Spirit of God inside us doesn't say, I want a third cheeseburger. The Spirit of God does not eat food. Its food is to do the will of God. My stomach and my body says, I like cheeseburgers. Matter of fact, throw two hot dogs with that third cheeseburger. That's kind of how I think. And I'm going, man, look how much I can eat. I'm so proud of myself. You ever been like that? Proud of how much you could eat? Do you know what I'm saying? 
I'm saying gluttony is my sin and I'm proud of it. That's not healthy. It's also not godly. And do you think God is going to bless me with weight loss by doing that? Why not? Eat all you want to lose weight. Wouldn't that be great? Eat yourself to a thinner body. It would be a great thing. But God has set up certain laws in motion of the flesh that go to the flesh. He set certain laws in motion of the Spirit that go to the Spirit. And they don't like each other. Did you know your spirit doesn't ever starve for a piece of food? It does starve for the presence of God. In Romans chapter 8, we hear a little bit more about this. In verse 5, he begins to talk about this war. He uses the word enmity sometimes. It means at war, enemies. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If your belly runs your day, food runs your life. But those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a capital S, the things of the Spirit. If you live by it, right? Now, let's look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded, now let me share with you, carnal means fleshly. Carnally minded is death. But that third cheeseburger is not going to kill me. My cholesterol is not going to go up too high from one burger. No, it's the two before and the 50 before that, right? And the stuff is put in line. But to be spiritually minded is, uh, is crazy. Is that what it says? It says, it doesn't just say life. Like the other carnal is death. But it says spiritually minded is life. And... Peace. I don't have peace when I'm fighting myself all the time, do I? If I'm spiritually minded and going the ways of God, and I'm a used to be and not a still used what I used to be, if I'm going the way of God in my life, I'm going all in the same direction. There's nothing fighting. I have internal peace. I'm going all things the same way. Straight. And it's narrow. I don't have to think of other paths to take. But verse 7, he goes on, he says, the carnal mind is enmity, or it wars against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, which is spiritual, and it can't be. In verse 8, so then, when you live according to the flesh, You can't please God. Isn't that what we want when the Holy Spirit's in us? To please God? That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit. You want to please God. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. If this Spirit hasn't been born into you, you have no part with Him. Verse 10, he goes on. And if Christ is in you, the body, the flesh, is dead because of sin. Adam. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And in verse 11, he concludes his thought by saying, but if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead 
which we were, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, new life, new birth, new creation to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This is the work of God. The Holy Spirit. Now let's break this down with today's text about Mary. It says, the one who through His Spirit dwelling in you creates life. The Holy Spirit put life in Mary and His name was Jesus. That life was to give light to all men. That is the task of the Holy Spirit. His job has not changed. But the Spirit and the flesh are at war. That's why you want control. Why you want to tell people how they should act and behave because you want to run things rather than letting God do it. Satan knows God won't bless a controlling spirit. If you don't know what I mean by a controlling spirit, let me share with you how this looks. It's kind of like this. You're walking down the street and you see someone uh, who's not living a godly life and you find out what's wrong with them. And you point out and see all the destructive things they're doing and feel justified that you're not. Rather than seeing it as an opportunity from God to say, you know, I just saw that person who's less fortunate and I need a nudge from the Holy Spirit to see what I need to do here. God, you have compassion on this person. Help me too so I can be your hands and feet. If we're carnally minded, we don't think like that. Why? Because that's a spiritual thought to raise people up from their broken mindsets. It is spiritual to want to be with the broken, to show them hope, and that their lives can change through the power of God. We always say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but there are times when God has to do the pulling. But if they don't have God, how are they going to know unless someone tells them? And if God has shown you someone less fortunate, He's showing you that you're the one. Oh, no, no, no. God does. I'm no preacher. We're all evangelists. The Spirit of God is in you, reconciling the world to Jesus Christ through you, through all of us who believe. To bring them back to being God's friends. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he talks about not being carnally minded anymore. He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. This is the Corinthian church. They were pretty basic, flesh driven people. He said, I had to speak to you as fleshly people, as even babes in Jesus Christ. And I like these verses. For I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And here's what he says. And even now, you're still not able. You're still a babe in Christ. In verse 3, this is the one I wanted you to focus on. For you are still fleshly, still of Adam. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like people who are flesh still? When there's infighting and outfighting in families or businesses or, or, or organizations or churches, is it not true that that which is going on is not a God? 
It's flesh coming out. And if there is flesh coming out in attitude and behavior of a situation, a family, or an organization, I see a big problem because that's not born of spirit. It shows clearly the maturity of the people in Jesus. I'll say that another way. The amount that you see yourself being a solution rather than a problem to the problems around us in our world and the broken people, in as much as you're a solution is your maturity in Jesus Christ. And as much as you're not, is your maturity in Jesus Christ too. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 says, Flesh can't understand what I'm talking about. Your flesh won't receive this. It's on the screen. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. You'll argue with everything I say, but you know, there's reasons why I do those things and this and this and this, and your flesh will tell you that all day long. The Holy Spirit will never tell you not to love somebody. Will never tell you not to serve God in ways that make a difference in the world around you. The Holy Spirit will find ways to be creative. The things of the Spirit are foolish to the natural man, nor can he know them because they are discerned spiritually. So why is it that we who belong to Jesus still walk in the flesh? I think it's because you haven't heard this sermon yet. Or maybe because you haven't read these Scriptures yet. Or maybe because you didn't think it mattered or that it was important. But to be truthful, our choices are very simple when we belong to Jesus. There are two questions you can ask yourself of any thought, word, or deed. Number one, does it glorify God? That's the first thing. The second thing, is it helpful or uplifting? My mom used to say, Y'all can probably finish this phrase. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. There's some days I had to shut up all day long. If I was going to honor my mother, that is. I still said some stuff that wasn't so nice. Um, but is it helpful or uplifting? If I'm not lifting somebody up, and I'm not glorifying God by what I say and do, why would I want to do it? Why in the world would any Christian want to do something that would be negative or disgraceful or dismeaning to somebody else or themselves? Why? Because the flesh is warring with the Spirit inside. And if you don't have a check in your spirit when that happens, you need to pray about that. God, give me a check in my spirit when I'm not choosing You. When I'm going this way and there's nothing to say, whoa! Hold on. If it's not helpful or uplifting and doesn't glorify God, why not squelch those thoughts, words, or ideas that are carnally natured? Why not? Some people say, well, if I did that, I'd sound kind of just kind of fake and phony. I just be positive and cheerful all the time. We need that. I need that. 
Do you know the worst thing that could probably happen to each one of us? If our thoughts were completely visible, heard by everyone around us. Would you be going, oh, or would you be going, I've got nothing to hide. I'm saying it anyway. My mouth speaks before my mouth shuts up. My mind shuts up. Or do you actually think about it and say, is this for God or for me? Am I trying to hurt someone or lift them up? There's a father and son who were having a battle. And the father said some cutting things. The son said some cutting things back to his father. Very, very painful wounds inflicted. Later, after things had calmed down, they began to talk and the dad goes to the son and says, Son, I'm sorry, I was angry and I, and I said some cutting things. And the son said, Dad, I knew what would hurt you and I said it. I was mad and I hurt you intentionally. Does this sound like flesh or spirit? Where is the check in our actions when this happens? Have we allowed our emotions to shut out the Spirit of God? This morning I want to ask you, do you have a need to seek God to help you change your thought patterns? The way you respond to others when you're emotionally distraught. Do you need a God to help you to change? To become more reflective of the image of Christ? I want to share this again, so please don't miss this. You can't choose it. It is by the Spirit of God that you become a new creation. You will end up wearing yourself out, trying to watch yourself every step of the way. Until the Holy Spirit begins to guide you every day, your mind's going to go nuts trying to watch everything. Is this uplifting? Is this good? Is this great? And you're going, oh, forget it. I'm just going to say it. God wants you to be free in Jesus Christ. He wants you to be born of the Spirit. What do you say? Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, You have truly set before us life and death, good and evil, hope and despair, freedom and bondage. And today as Moses spoke to the Israelites so long ago, I speak now asking that each person here would choose life that it would go well for them. Heavenly Father, that Your Spirit right now working through this crowd, we begin to show each one of us where we need You to do a further, deeper work to get our lives lined up with the Spirit of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would be more Christ-like in those areas. Heavenly Father, we have tried and tried on our own, but we can't do it without You. So help us to come today boldly, yet humbly before Your throne to find help and grace and mercy in time of need.
For you have said that you with no means and no way reject a broken and contrite heart, a heart that truly wants to please you, a heart moldable, a heart that says, God, put me back on your potter's wheel, a life that says, God, you're not done with me yet. There's so much more you can do through me. And God, I've stopped some of your work by what I've said and done, and I didn't know it. Help me to be the person you need me to be. Heavenly Father, I won't have to excuse or apologize for that. And I thank you that you love me like that. And I pray this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit here, convicting, lifting, and encouraging for us to do the right things in the right ways. Amen.